Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Metcalf. I'm back for a second episode this week, which will hopefully be the plan going forward, barring any scheduling issues. But to the matter at hand, while you're listening, today I wanted to have some fun. So obviously I reached out to one of the hardest working people in the draft universe, host of the Draft Capital Podcast, Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, how's it going? Man, Tyler, it's good to be here. Uh, truth be told, the only reason I'm here is to help show Corey that not every member of the draft Twitter community was brought on before him. So, Corey, you beat me. Um, so so there's that, you know, a little, little silver lining there. But, man, I, I'm excited, Tyler, to be on the show. Obviously, you know, man, like I've had almost every single one of the guys from No Ceilings on Draft Capital. You guys are amazing. You know, the content that you guys put out on a, on a daily basis is just awesome and incredible to keep up with. And, uh, I'm ready to stretch my legs and have some fun here on No Ceilings, man. It's a, a lot to live up to being on this brand, but, you know, I'm excited to be here. Well, I, I appreciate your kind kind words, and, and Corey was a little salty about that, but, you know, we, 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 we move do, on. You know? <laughs> Corey's so, a good dude, man. I love Corey. No, he's, Corey's the best and solely responsible for 99% of the incredible artwork that we put up. So I absolutely couldn't do it without him. Absolutely love the guy. Um, but what you and I settled on for a topic this week was inspired by Sam Vecini and Matt Penny and what they did a couple of weeks ago with drafting a team of college players to win today. We're not mm-hmm. talking about winning an NBA championship five years from now. We're not talking about building a franchise. We are, let's just say we're, we're playing for the national championship tomorrow and we are constructing a team to do so. And What we landed on for roster was pretty much just an eight-man rotation. So we're going to go starting five, three bench spots, and we're not going to limit players by position. So if you want to put out five, seven-footers at a time, go for it. All right. Hone your inner Cleveland Cavalier uh, front office and, and, and build whatever roster you see fit. One limitation that we are putting on it is we can only pick one player from the same team. So when Steven inevitably picks Katie Johnson with his second pick, Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith Smith are no longer available to either of us. So with that stipulation, I I, I think we'll be able to really dive into this class as a whole and the players throughout the country as a whole and hopefully provide a little deeper insight instead of just living at the top of the draft, because as much as, as, as much fun as those guys are to talk about, we we want to stretch our legs a little bit, get a little weird, have a little fun, and really just spread the love. So s- since I am so gracious of a host, Stephen, with the first pick, I will let you go first. Wh- what direction are you going in? Well, I mean, you, you're, you are a really gracious host. <laughs> I appreciate you letting me have the first pick. All the pressure, none of the credit. Um, and you, you did a great job leading up into us stretching our legs. I'm going to throw a crazy one here, number one overall. I hope everyone's ready. I'm going to go Chet Holmgren. I don't know if people are familiar with him. Plays out of a little-known university called Gonzaga. Um, if you haven't heard of him, you know, he's probably going to be one of the better players in this draft. So, you know, sleeper alert here. Um, but in all seriousness, um, 
Chet Holmgren, you know, seven foot, whatever, seven foot one is the, I think the, the um, official measurement for right now. Um, a buck 90 soaking wet. Uh, I, I like his shot blocking ability. So, you know, building a team, I want to go ahead and get my anchor out of the way, uh, you know, and also along with him being an anchor, he's a unique passer. He can handle the ball. Don't got to worry about him in transition. He can help extend plays. And obviously, again, anchoring the defense is where I'm going with this pick. Um, yeah, Chet Holmgren, number one pick overall for the Stephen Gillespie's. <laughs> absolutely love absolutely love it. Chet's the number one guy on my board. He would have been my number one pick. I just think what he does on both ends of the floor is really special, and he's probably – the best pure, the best rim protector that I've evaluated since I started doing this five or six years ago. Um, he's just such a unique player. Um, I, I know, just curious, um, I know you just recently released an updated big board. Where, where did you have him on there? Yeah, so it's interesting that with the number one pick overall for winning a, a college game tomorrow with my third best prospect on here, right? But I think that you alluded to it earlier, Tyler. It's like, I'm not drafting who I think is going to go number one overall in the draft, right? So that's what makes this exercise fun is like you can kind of step away from who you think the better player is going to be in the long run, um, which is why I went with my my third pick. Uh, there's a lot of folks that believe he might be the the quote unquote safest player in this draft, but having a seven foot one, you know, playmaking stretch big uh, that we, uh, of which we've never seen the likes of. I don't know how he is one safe and um, is kind of like a, a floor player. If anything, he has an incredible ceiling. Um, yeah, he's he's my third best prospect overall on my board, but I think he he's a winning college basketball player right now. And, and I got to get that ring or excuse me, you know, the banner <laughs> tomorrow. So, you know, Chet, I'm rocking with you, man. Perfect. So with my first pick, I'm going to stay at the top of the draft board as well and go Jabari Smith Jr. from mm. Auburn. Um, my heart told me to, to, to go a different direction, uh, but I, I I would have been destroyed if I let you get both Chet and Jabari, and I, I, I would have had no chance to score a single point. Um, I, I think Jabari is one of the most versatile defenders in this class um mm-hmm. just the, the the way at 610 the way he slithers around screens and moves his feet is just absurd and unfair for anyone unlucky enough to be guarded by him um and then on top of that and he he might be the best shooter in this class um you know i'm, I'm not planning on him being the primary initiator or ball handler uh because i think that's a legit issue but at 610 with that release point he doesn't need to create a whole lot of space. So whether he's spotting up or just knocking down a dozen of those jab step pull-ups, I I think he's going to be just really solid on offense. And then obviously the, the kind of defensive cornerstone for my team. And I'm assuming you had him first on your board. I did. He was uh, the, the top prospect on my board. And what's crazy is I actually went to go watch him scout or I went to scout him, you know, live Mm, in South Carolina watch him play there and he had a very pedestrian game you know a lot most of his points came from the free throw line it was mainly like you know just a a kd show out game that that night but overall even on an off night like he still made winning plays i believe in him as a defender i mean everybody does right like everyone looks at that defense and he projects to be very switchable something that's going to translate to you know all 30 teams in the nba you know he's he stretches the floor he can run the break all things that you want um, just his intensity and the intangibles and everything like that that he brings to the table, 
I've shared with, you know, guys like Nathan Grubel when we do our big board comparisons and stuff like that, that he reminds me of guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and Kevin Garnett just with the intensity and the the effort that he gives on both sides of the ball. We see a lot of people in basketball, you know, they have a high usage rate or they're, you know, highly relied upon on the offensive end. They kind of take plays off on the defense. Jabari does no such thing. And as a freshman, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, when you figure that he's going to get stronger, he's going to get more creative. The NBA, you know, his shooting coaches, you know, his dribbling coaches, defensive coaches, all of that, they're going to help hone his game a lot. And as he figures his body out and probably he might not even be done growing, like we see kids come out of college all the time, 18 years old and get bigger, you know, both in terms of physicality and actually just height. So it's scary to think about what that guy might be. So, you know, I was flirting with taking him number one overall. I went with your number one. You went with mine. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Exactly. We're, we're, we're just swapping big boards. Here, so. <laughs> we're smart. We listen to each other. You know, so. We're just copying off each other's homework. So, so uh, with, with the next pick, since it's just the two of us, uh, we're just going to go back and forth. We're going to ignore the, the complexities of, of serpentine drafting. So with, with your second pick, what direction are you going? I thought about continuing to build my front court because, you know, I, you know, as a competitor, I'm like, all right, how do I stop Jabari Smith Jr.? And I think that if I knew the answer to that, I might have a head coaching job somewhere in the SEC <laughs> right now. But um, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to try to give you another problem to try to match me step for step. And again, in keeping with the the um, the theme of this draft, it's not who I think is going to be the best player in the NBA. It's who's going to help me win tomorrow. I'm going to take Ochai Abaji out of Kansas mm. to help be be my scorer, one of the top scorers in the entire country right now. Does it at all levels? He's no slouch on the defensive end either. So Chet doesn't have to just you know have you know the the top scorer on the other team, for example, you know just being escorted over to him and hopefully he blocks the shot right like Ochai can still help he he communicates on defense all the time for Kansas and that's something that doesn't really get discussed a lot so the defensive aspect of his game is there and again I mean this guy shoots up like I, I don't know like five six three-point attempts per game and he's shooting in the 40s still I mean he's a walking bucket he makes it look easy he's very strong I mean a senior in college right now so there's he has that already that quote-unquote old man game and mm-hmm. to help me win a championship tomorrow. I'm going to go ahead and take Oshai Abaji as my, my leading scorer here. I I absolutely love it. I've been on the Abaji hype train since he made his college debut as a freshman. Um, and just the, the overall transformation he's had as a player since his first days at Kansas to now is really incredible. Cause like mm-hmm. when he first stepped on as a freshman, it was, he's just this freak athlete, high energy guy, just go out, wreak havoc for 10 minutes and you know just be crazy and now he's asked to do so much for that team whether it's Mm -hmm. initiating pick and rolls at times or just being a lethal shooter or playing really sound team defense like you said i i absolutely love him and i i really think that he deserves to be mentioned in that lottery range um given the the versatility and the growth of his game over these last couple years and I, I re- I'm really glad that you brought up the team defense aspect because what he does on the weak side, I think is so important for that Kansas defense. And I, for, since his freshman year, I think his on ball defense has taken a step back, but that's kind of coincided with the immense increase in his offensive responsibilities. But mm-hmm. that, that awareness, that willingness to do the little things and communicate and switch and rotate and do all of that off ball, I think is still re- there 
at a really high level. Um, so as for, for the pros, you know, I, I think he's going to be a really nice two-way guy that you can slot in right away. But for your team here, that that defensive communication and versatility with him and Chet is not going to be fun to deal with. No, and I mean, you talk about a player who leads by example every night, you know, and there's there was early on in the season a debate to who is the better Kansas Jayhawk prospect. Those talks are still existent, right, but um, have died down a little bit recently. But Christian Brown, you know, no slouch on, on him either, right? But he kind of, he he feasts off of whatever is available to him on the defensive end because of the attention that Ochai Baji attracts, right? Like he highly benefits from playing next to Ochai. And I think that Chet Holmgren on my team is going to be able to do the same thing. Absolutely. Um, With my second pick, I'm going to follow my heart. And I am so thankful that you did not rip it out of my chest and stomp on it in front of me. I'm going with Johnny Davis. There you go. The best guard in the class. I've said it once. I've said it a million times. I, I absolutely love everything this kid does on the basketball court, his entire approach to the game of basketball. Um, I, I think le- legit three-level scoring versatility, uh, really strong, good passer, not 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 necessarily a playmaker, but he moves mm-hmm. the ball. The ball doesn't stick, um, and he's done the impossible. He's made the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team fun to watch, and with, without him, I think that team would be a pretty big dumpster fire. Um, and pairing his defensive intensity and willingness to do the little things and the dirty work with Jabari Smith, I think creates a nightmare of a defensive team, um, along with two guys who can really score in a variety of ways. Um, I, I, I think Davis, similar to Igbaji, is at his best defensively as that team defender where he's chasing guys off screens, denying the ball. I think he can occasionally switch in the post um, because he's strong enough to kind of guard some fours. Um, and then on ball, it's just pure effort with him. I, th- I think his footwork's kind of sloppy and that'll probably cause issues in the pros, but just hounding college guards, it's incredibly effective. Yeah. And I, I love his game overall as well. He was number six on my big board so far. And once I got to four, like it was just really difficult for me mm-hmm. just to decide like who I think deserves to be four, five, six. And, you know, he's in the mix with guys like Paulo Boncaro and AJ Griffin. So, to me, being in that company speaks a lot to his game. And just the way, just because that's the way I feel about them right now doesn't mean that's going to be what it is at the end of the season. Like, I'm, I'm literally putting no cap on how high I could have Johnny Davis in, in my rankings overall. And it's really hard for me to justify, again, putting him sixth because offensively, he, he reminds me so much of Brandon Roy. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he has a very mature game. He can score from pretty much any level. Um, on the court defensively like he he crashes the glass too like he doesn't play like he's a star on a team um when I when I did a show with Maximel Bombach you know one thing that he said that just really kind of woke up like some consciousness that I had on his game was that he plays like he's a bench player and, yeah. and that meaning that he doesn't take any plays off like he's on the ground making all the hustle plays as well like he's the engine to Wisconsin any success they have is directly related to whatever Johnny Davis is doing that night. And more times than not, he is <laughs> doing everything for that team. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And we, we saw him be that role player off the bench last year. And mm-hmm. now this year, his his mentality and approach hasn't really changed. He's just accepted that scoring 
responsibility that they've had to place on him because he's really the only one on that team who can be a reliable scorer. But I, I've talked enough Johnny Davis in the past, and I promise I will continue to do so in the future. So who you got next with your third pick? Yeah, I left him there for you, man. Like, I would have felt <laughs> bad if I came on your show and took your guy. So, you know, a little, little bit of love there. I just would have booted you right away. So, it, yeah, it, I mean, it would have been podcast over. I want to be I want to be able to come back on another <laughs> show. So, you know, I, you, you got to do what you got to do when you first get your foot in the door. Right. But um, moving on to my, to my team, um, you know, I got I got my rim protector. I got my leading scorer. Now, the question for me is, is like, do I want to start adding to the wing? Do I want to get maybe a table setter? And there's a lot of good ones at the college level. You know, again, winning a college game, not making it to the NBA. Like, there's a whole lot that I can take there. I think I'm going to add to the rim defense, add to the post scoring, shows a little bit of ability to stretch the floor, has a little bit of a handle as well. I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to take Keegan Murray out of Iowa to to help beef up that defense next to Chet. A lot of people... You know, when they watch Keegan Murray, they speak to his ability to just score. You know, he's one of the best scorers in the entire country for that Iowa team. But that defense next to Chet Holmgren, I think, is going to help him out a lot. Um, not saying it's going to be exactly like him and, and Drew Timmy, but a little bit of high-low action between the two of those guys. Like, they can both spread the floor for each other. They can both switch onto whichever big man that you're going to have lined up alongside next to Jabari Smith Jr., and Jabari's going to have to bring the defensive effort every night up against Keegan Murray, and and he can very well do that. I just don't want to give I don't want to give Jabari any any plays off in this game. So I'm just going to get one of the most effective, talented, consistent scores at that position, and I'm going to say Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray's a guy who I've I, I've really struggled with my evaluation of him. Um, and I, I think I said this to to Rucker on a previous episode, but it, it's like death by a thousand cuts with him. Where it's, yep. it's not it's not this overwhelming display of talent and scoring or defense for large bursts like we see from Jabari or Paolo. Um, it's it's just a little bit of just constantly executing at a high level throughout a game. In, in the NBA, uh, to, to, to pivot that direction for a quick second, what do you see his ceiling as? Do you, is he just a solid kind of connecting starter, or do you see a higher ceiling for him than that? Yeah, so I actually have him. I believe it's 15th overall on my board, and it's not because I don't think that he's going to be effective pro player. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily just buying into the hype of him potentially being like a top 10, a top 7. A lot of people are even saying top 5. I don't know if I see all that. Um, I don't practice ageism, so it's not the fact that he's, you know, a 21-year-old sophomore or anything like that. It's just that his position, I project him out to be a four. I don't know if he does anything exceptionally well that's going to help him stand out relative to his position, right? You know, he it's not like he's going to be breaking dudes down off the dribble. He he's a big body, he's strong. So you could envision him kind of almost being like maybe a Paul Millsap of sorts and Paul Millsap had a long, successful, effective career in the NBA, but he's not, you know, leading the NCAA and rebounding for consecutive years in a row like Paul Millsap did, right? So that was his calling card to get into the NBA. He turned his offensive rounds, uh, offensive end around, right? So Keegan Murray, he has that post footwork. He has the potential to stretch the floor on the offensive end. I just don't think his overall game is going to translate to being like a top five top 10 level pick but again you know tail end of the lottery you can definitely talk me into that 
being a super solid, effective role player, I think is definitely within the realm of possibility. Perfect. Yeah, and that that's that's the vibes I get from him too, because it, it, he's he's just so difficult for me to evaluate. Like I said, obviously, um, but like when you look at like that middle to back end of the lottery, like I, I feel like in that range, you still really want to star hunt, mm-hmm. yeah, and find that guy who can be, you know, a third best player on a, a contending team. Depends and on I, the team, right? Like at the tail sure. end of the lottery this year, like we got teams like Memphis drafting, right? Like does Memphis want to? star hunt with a you know i don't think Shaden sharp falls that far if he stays in the draft but like do you think memphis takes Shaden sharp or do you think that they take a keegan murray you know it really just depends on the construct of the team that's picking right yeah no that and that that that's a really smart point because context for all these guys regardless of where they get drafted ends up mattering but for some i think it matters a lot more than others where if you're drafting keegan murray to be this six man or this really connecting guy and just a tertiary option where you're not really relying on him, but he's just adding, mm-hmm. then I, I think that's when he looks really enticing as a yep. prospect. But if you're like, Ooh, okay, here's our, you know, space creating knockdown shooting interior scoring four. And it's like, mm, I, I'm not quite sure that he reaches those heights. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma city taking him was like, okay, like really, why are you going to do that? But again, like a exactly. Memphis or, you know, Boston even maybe, you know, a team like that. Yeah. All right. Um, with my next pick, I'm going to give Jabari Smith a, a, a bit more rim protection, uh, similar to how he's playing with Walker Kessler right now. Uh, but obviously Walker Kessler is off the board. So I'm going to go with the guy who I think is the second best center in the country right now, Mark Williams. Mm. So I, I have a piece coming out on Friday about Mark Williams pick and roll defense. And he's not a guy you want switching on everything, but the way he flips his hips and recovers and slides his feet is really impressive for someone, his size, his block rate is one of the best in the country. I think he's really nimble on his feet. Um, He catches everything. I think he has the best hands in the country. He dunks everything. He runs in transition, probably better than any center in the league, maybe barring Chet. Um, and just everything he does is so effective at such a high level, pretty much on a nightly basis, that it would be really hard for me to find a more productive, at least at this point, a more productive college center to win me a single game. And to further highlight how important Williams is to this team, when Duke and Gonzaga played earlier this year, I, I thought Mark Williams was the best player on the floor that game. I, I thought Chet still had a good game, uh, but everything Mark Williams does, I absolutely love. And I think he's at this point, I would consider taking him closer to the end of the lottery than I would in the second round. So that is where I'm going with my rim protector, Mark Williams, Duke, which unfortunately takes off Paulo and AJ Griffin as well. Yeah, that's, that's a tough look. Right. And, um, I, I if you weren't going to bring it up, I was going to discuss it, right? Like I, me taking Chet, like you taking Mark Williams. I think that you know a little bit of kryptonite there for my guy. So I mean, it it makes all the sense in the world. The reason why you would why you would want to go with Mark Williams. I have a second round grade on him okay. as of today. That can definitely get higher. Um, I'm a big Ismail Kamagate fan. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, being European player, he's not eligible for tonight's draft. But um. I think that he's being a little bit slept on in, in terms of the convert, and that just kind of happens with international guys, right? Like they're not in our face all the mm-hmm. time, so they can kind of slip. 
But I think of, you know, the center's not named Chet if you classify him as a center or Jalen Duran if you're high on him like I am. I think excluding those two, Ishmael Kamagate might be the guy. But then you can definitely talk me into, you know, whoever the Walker Kessler, Christian Coloco, another guy, and then um, Mark Williams as well. So so what, what what has you hesitant or not not buying in on Mark Williams? It's just the fact that between all three of them, like he doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't do really anything to separate himself out of the pack between those. And actually, um, I don't even have it ranked this way, but the more that I'm thinking about it and looking at it, I think Walker Kessler actually has a really strong case to be the guy out of there as well. Um, he's a little bit bigger. I think he's a little bit stronger. He moves a little bit more fluidly and he projects to stretch the floor better out of those three as well. Like he's at least attempting three point shots. And that was kind of a claim to fame of him coming into college basketball <laughs> as well. But again, Mark Williams is no knock against him. It's I'm not down on him. Right. And I don't know if you're kind of like this as well, Tyler, like, I could have a guy not even in my top 100 and absolutely love the guy. Like I, I like oh, Mark yeah. Williams a lot. It's just to me, he's not really doing anything to differentiate himself relative to his position. And the guys that I have in front of him, I just think are, are either better today or project to be better later on down the line than a Mark Williams. I think Mark Williams is a very safe draftable prospect though. Okay. I, 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 com- I completely get that. And when, whenever, you know, that kind of group of, four centers, Kamigate, Kessler, Coloco, and Williams comes up. It, it It's kind of funny that it seems to differ between every single person you talk to, where so much of it's going to come down to just personal preference with those guys, as much of the drafting process does. Um, nice draft philosophy in a nutshell, man, is what do you like? <laughs> what do you like better? You know, exactly. Uh, w- with your fourth pick, where are you going? Man, I'm going to cheat. And well, I'm not breaking any rules here. I really don't want to take this guy, but I'm going to do it anyway just because I want to win the stinking banner. <laughs> I'm going to take Paolo Boncaro to go ahead and give me minutes with uh, alongside Keegan Murray. And ah, pa- I... pa- pa- Paolo can't go. Mark Williams excluded all the Duke guys. Oh, so that's for both of us. Okay, oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. Interesting wrinkle, my friend. I <laughs> love it. You got me thinking on the spot. Um, screw it, man. I was thinking about doing this guy anyway before Paolo. I'm going to take Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. Okay. Love uh, it. I, I like him a lot. He's going to help me out on the defensive end as well. And shooting roughly 36% from three, uh, I think that he can. He and Murray can swap with Jabari and whoever else you want to play alongside the wing as well. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take him. And you can't get Kendall Brown to guard any of my guys now, man. I love that wrinkle. That was so good. But um, yeah, man, Jeremy Sohan. A lot of people are asking, you know, who's the better Baylor player? And my board, my when question. I put it out, um, I think Kendall Brown has the higher upside, like overall. Yes. But again, like if I'm drafting a player, Jeremy Sohan, he gives you a lot of the defensive things that you that everyone is fantasizing about with Kendall Brown. But Brown is such a reluctant shooter; he can't put the ball on the ground. Um, he had one extraordinary passing game that everyone is just hanging on to right now, myself included for dear life to be like, he can move the ball at least on the offensive end. Right. Um, doesn't block shots. which really bothers me with his yep. athleticism and defensive prowess. Like you would think that, Oh, I'm six foot eight, six foot nine. And I'm super spring. Like it's harder for him to stay on the ground than it is mm-hmm. to jump. You know, you figured this guy would be able to block shots, but he doesn't Jeremy Sohan. 
I, I love him a lot, though, man. He's he he's growing on me. I did not want to like that guy either, but but he's growing on me. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I'm kind of in the same spot where I I've really cooled on Kendall Brown recently, and it just the off ball defense is a big part of it. Where yeah, he just cuts, man for someone who's that good of cutting, how he continuously gets cut back cut. I I don't understand it because it's like hey this is what you're really good at stop letting people do it to you (laughs) um but then like with his athleticism and size the rebounding rate should be higher the block rate should be higher the steal rate should be higher none of it is he's just a step or two slow on everything off ball um i think there's some on ball defensive intrigue there to be really excited about um but then on offense he's just reluctant to do anything with the ball where he's just passing up wide open threes. And it's like, I, I, I'm taking that more as a sign that you can't shoot than you just having a bad percentage. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, with the passing, he had that one really encouraging game, but so much of what he can do passing comes from when he attacks off the dribble and just kicking it out or finding the open guy based on however the defense collapses. And when he doesn't, when he, he refuses to do that, all those passing lanes disappear. So he's just almost exclusively a cutter at this point. And you know, I, I, another shameless plug, but I just wrote a long piece on Jared Vanderbilt for Canis Hoopers that's coming out on Thursday. And Jared Vanderbilt's really found a way to be that non-shooter who cuts all the time and lives on offensive rebounds. But when you look at the league as a whole, that's a pretty rare exception. And not many guys can do that. And you still have to be willing to crash crash of the glass mm-hmm. as much as Vanderbilt does and Kendall Brown just isn't doing that so I I don't know if it's just a mentality thing that it's as simple as just him just slowing the game down and really getting engaged and being more confident in himself but I, I I'm, I'm right there with you that the the two-way kind of effectiveness and basketball IQ that that Jeremy Sohan has been showing has been so impressive yeah I mean everything that everyone was talking about with Brown that they thought he was going to bring to the table on the offensive end. Like you, you want cutting, you know, so, you know, Suhan does that too. He also shoots again, 36% from outside. He he's not a selfish player either. Like he, he can do a little bit of everything on the offensive end and none of it really ever feels forced and he can attack the basket and he has a pretty good counter moves to his game in the paint as well. And he's just, you know, not just as young, but he's still fairly young, you know, and, is an athlete in of himself. He's just not, you know, skyrocketing to the top of the rafters whenever he jumps like, like Kendall Brown does. Absolutely. Um, all right. So with, with, with my fourth pick, a couple different directions I could go I, at shooting guard. I have Johnny Davis, power forward, Jabari Smith, center, Mark Williams. I kind of feel like I need someone to really run the show at point guard. Um, I'm going to go with Alondis Williams. No. Wake Forest. No. <laughs> Boo, you stink. It was going to be my sixth man. So I, I, all day I've pretty much been catching up on Alondis Williams film and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get the hype. Uh, oh man, he's so fun. He is such a fun passer. And the way that that entire Wake Forest team moves the ball, I think that they may be the, the best passing team in the country right now they're just so aesthetically pleasing to watch but 
I, I, th- I think Williams, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the, the, the second best point guard from this draft. Um, I, I think he's an excellent rebounder as well. He's big. Um, he doesn't feel like he's a good athlete, but then when he gets an open lane to the rim, he's not afraid to to slam it on a guy's head. Kind of reminds um, you of James Harden a little bit in that aspect, right? Like he doesn't look like he's going to do a lot to you, you know, athletically speaking, because he's kind of like barrel chested. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a thick kid and scoring, passing all that. He little bit of James Harden in the game. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Um, and then, yeah, and then, then kind of on the opposite end, he'll surprise you with a blo- an at-rim block where it's like, where the hell did that come from? Um, the shot's obviously the concern, but I, I think he's good enough shooting off the catch where it's not going to be an issue, especially with how much Johnny Davis can create on this team. Um, so, yeah, uh, Londis Williams at point. Yeah, so... I like it a lot. Like I was really considering drafting him to be my top point guard. The reason I wanted to target him as a six man is because as much fun as he is as a passer, he will go out of his way to try to make a difficult shot. Like I posted a clip once and, and, you know, mutual friend of ours, Nathan Grubel, he saw the, he saw the tweet that I put up about him where I kind of literally face palm because he tried to skip pass, you know, through the lane, through three defenders across the court in the corner to a pass when he literally had the size advantage in the paint. And it's just like, you look at his assist to turnover percentage too, like it's positive, but it's not as high as you would like it to be considering the level of passes that he tries to make. But again, you know, Wake Forest, other than he and Jake LaRavia, I mean, like mm-hmm. it's not really the the most, you know, blessed with talent team there is out there. And Alondis Williams is kind of coming out of nowhere, right? Like to think that Oklahoma could have had him and Reeves on the court together is is crazy to think about, right? But he went to Wake Forest and they just kind of gave him the keys. And I like him a lot, man. He's super fun. It's just that I wanted him as a six man because as my starting guard, especially winning a championship, like don't really know if that was if that's the route I wanted to go. But I am so not mad at you for having bigger onions than me for for taking it, man. I, my thing with him and I guess the rest of this point guard class is I, I, I just really hate the, the vast majority <laughs> of point guards in this class, man. It, it's I, I've come around on Ty Ty. I think Ty Ty is really good. There, there are a couple of other guys um, who I'm really intrigued with um, in that early second round range. But it, as a whole, the, this point guard class just kind of has me feeling bummed out. I can't blame you, man. Um, it's so. Let me ask you this: a draft question. Do you consider him to be a, a point guard at the next level, or do you think that he might be just kind of like a, a cool secondary playmaking off guard? I, I think more of a more more of a point guard. Um, okay. I, I don't see him being a good enough cutter or kind of off ball mover um, to do that. Um, but like, not necessarily, probably not a starting point guard. Um, I, you know, I, I'd want him coming off the bench in the NBA and then providing that playmaking aspect um, to, to that second unit or being the first guy off and then pairing him with the with the rest of the starters. But I, I think the, the the way he moves the ball and can shoot off ball, I think pairs nicely with a, an, an, another initiator. So if you do play him with a, another point guard, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay. Um, but I, I I do worry about his ability to kind of shoot off the dribble and create space for himself because I, I don't think he's very good at that unless he's attacking the rim. 
Okay, that, that's totally fair, man. I, I'm still kind of pulling that thread myself on, as far as like what position I think he's best at. But I mean, there's definitely merit in valuing him as a point guard with the skill set that he has. For sure. Um, so with with your next pick, you have you currently have Ochai Baji, Keegan Murray, Jeremy Sohan, and Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so you you have one spot left in your starting lineup and then three bunch spots. What direction you're going? Yeah, well, I mean, you took the guy that I really wanted, obviously, so that kind of sucks. Um, I need a table setter as well, but since you have Alondis, who's pretty explosive, like I feel like I kind of need to, I need to either match his scoring output or at least give him a little bit of physicality. I'm gonna get funky. Love I'm it. gonna go Darion Sebron out of North Ooh. Carolina State to match up against him. He's not the best table setter. I'll, I'll give you that, but. I feel like everyone on this team has enough playmaking ability to where we're not going to be like a traditional college team, right? Where we're going to get James Akinjo to death or anything like that, right? Like we're, it's going to be a collective effort. We're going to try to move the ball. Chet might even be like the the point center on, on this roster right now. But if you're going to have a Londis across from me, I might, you know, just keep adding link. Ochai Baji is going to be like our, the shortest dude on our team at six foot five. So, We'll be extremely switchable. Um, we'll be we'll be you know a defensive first team. We'll 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 beat you up in the paint. We'll all rebound and we're gonna play with intensity. I mean that's what Darion Seabron brings every single night for North Carolina State, right? Like he's he his rebounding is ridiculous. You know, as a guard, he's averaging close to ten rebounds a game throughout most of the season. Yeah. Um. He. He is a, a nightmare. I, I would not want to stand across from him on a court running at me at full speed. Like this dude looks like a predator out there on the basketball court. So um I got I got a guy who can carry us on the perimeter on offense in Agbaji. I got a guy who can carry us in the post in Murray. The rest of these guys are gonna be insulary skill playmakers and defenders. And and that's why I'm gonna go with Darion, man. I, I gotta be able to switch with your guys, especially with this fast as the Londes and Johnny Davis are going to looks like they're going to be able to play against us. Yeah. You, you have a ton of size on your team right now, um, which, which is worrying me a little bit. Um, so C Brown is a guy who I, I have yet to really dive in on what the handful of games I've seen. I've, I've been really intrigued and the amount of rim pressure he generates every game is absolutely absurd. Um, yep. when, when you watch him drive and, turn the corner on defenders it's kind of like those old like slow motion clips that they used to show of von miller and how low he got to the ground and his absurd balance and Mm -hmm. sebron is kind of doing the same thing when he attacks the rim where despite being how big as big as he is um height wise he's still getting super low to the ground and putting pressure constantly on the rim um in the nba do, do you see him being a point guard do you what what kind of role do you think he's <laughs> or is it just one of those guys where that's a like, million dollar question hey, go play yeah um i got a second round grade on him because i don't really know like i think he's good enough to to make a team uh, i'm not gonna lie man like i think depending on the team that he goes to i'm not saying like toronto's got to draft him because he's six foot seven and he's got to go to a super creative team I just think that there's going to be a team that drafts this, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight predator of of a basketball player and be like, he's too big and too skilled at just like some of these more unorthodox ways 
that he could kind of be like his own defined skill or skilled position in the NBA. And again, not saying he's going to be a, a Draymond Green type and redefine the way that, you know, positions are played in, in the NBA or anything like that. He's just so unique. I wouldn't want to put him in a box. Like I could legitimately see a team saying, we just want to, we want you to push the break in transition when you're out on the court mm-hmm. and be a point of attack defender. You know, if he can, you know, improve his footwork and timing, things like that on the defensive end. Or I can just see a team wanting five or four players who can play out on the perimeter and give them minutes as like a small ball four, maybe a big three. So I don't really know. He, he's just a basketball player right now, in my opinion, who I would take definitely take in the second round today. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, he, I'm really excited to dive more in on him because, I, yeah, like you said, I, I he, he's just kind of tough to figure out who he is as a position x man like i don't don't know (laughs) and sometimes those guys are the most fun and end up finding a role on a team despite not even being drafted so his journey will be really interesting for sure Um, to round out my starting five i i think there's one direction i want to go but i'm i'm kind of thinking that i can maybe get him in a later pick so I'm going to try and match your size, match your athleticism, and up my overall team defense and go with Tari Eason no. from LSU. Why do you keep taking my guys, man? I gave you Johnny Davis. Yeah, well, I'm cheating. I, I, I told you already. Um, no I, 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 I'm seeing your notes, and I'm, I'm directly copying them. <laughs> there um, we go. So speaking of rim pressure, uh, Tari Eason is – He's really grown on me recently. I, I know he's kind of polarizing where some people have him around 10 and others barely have him in the first round. Um, I, I, I currently, where do I have him? Um, I, I have him at 14. So like right, right at the end of the lottery, just his, his physicality, his ability to attack downhill, I think is really impressive. Uh, his left hand leaves a bit to be desired. Um, the shot, I want to buy it, but the, weird kind of shot put release is a little funky um but a couple games ago i it may have been the alabama game but i may have it mixed up but he he showed off a few step back threes which was Mm -hmm. like where in the world did that come from um and then the defense the rebounding the grab and go transition offense it's opportunistic it's chaotic it's physical um it's versatile so I, i i don't always love his footwork i think he flips his hips a little too eagerly uh defending on ball, but I think a lot of that is just to try and keep up with quicker guards. Um, but pairing him with Johnny Davis, Mark Williams, and Jabari Smith, I, I think that creates a pretty lethal defense. No, for sure. I mean, you're not going to hear any rebuttal from me. I have him 11th on my board right now. And that's only because I don't know if Shaden Sharp is going to be in this draft or not. Like, if, if Shaden Sharp comes back, then I think that Jaden, or excuse me, that with Jaden Hardy, kind of struggling a little bit but coming on a little bit later it's it's hard for me to really establish who is like 10 11 and 12 right now on my board because right now I have Hardy Eason and Patrick Baldwin Jr and I think if we're going to reward production then easily out of three of those it goes to Tari Eason uh you know a mutual friend of us you know Chuck from at Chucking Darts mm-hmm. um he really kind of turned me on to Tori Eason very early on in the season and, um, you know, I listen to him speak about him. He echoes a lot of the same things I feel. He's just way more articulate than I am. Chuck's the man. But um, listening to him talk about how he's gone to two separate teams with 
the expectation of him not being the star on on either one of those teams and he just kind yeah. of because of his just overall skill and work ethic he he steps on the court and is the man for both of those teams there's uh, to me the the fact that he's willing to come off the bench as the best player on this roster speaks to you know a, a team first mindset if you're if you're into that you know type of thing there are a lot of old heads out there that still value like the attitude and you know um how he views himself relative to the roster right like in to me, like it doesn't always play into fact, but if I can look at a guy like Tori Eason and be like, hands down, you're the best player, but you could come off the bench. Okay, I, I can buy into a conversation like that, right? Like that makes a lot of sense to me. But yeah, I mean, I you we spoke about him on Draft Capital and you brought up the whole Feaster Famine thing, and I've been riding with that ever since I heard it come out of your lips. It's very opportunistic. I think it has to do a lot with LSU scheme. I yeah. think when we see him at the next level. It's going to be scaled back a little bit. Agreed. Obviously, that isolation defense is going to be there. I he's very strong. I think if if you're telling me that the only thing that you got to worry about him getting better at is this three point shot, which he's actually doing, by the way. Right. Um, the only thing you got to clean up is that three point shot. I mean, you're talking about a guy who might be yielding you like top seven, top ten level value. Yeah. No, I I think that was expertly put. Um, and. This is something that we didn't even mention was how good of a passer he is too. Absolutely. Which I, I, I is just a whole new wrinkle to his game that, you know, when, when I first dove in on him and, you know, prepped for the, for that podcast we did together, that like jumped off the, the screen for me. It was like, holy, holy shit. Like this guy is playing this level of defense, putting this amount of pressure on the rim. Is this athletic? And now he's passing like that too. Like the, the versatility and the variance that that provides to an NBA rotation, let alone a college rotation is immense. So I, I think his landing spot in the NBA is going to be really interesting. And I think that's going to, it's going to say a lot about how NBA front offices and development pro- programs really view him as an, a, a long-term NBA guy. No, for sure. Hands down. I think that this guy, he, there's going to be teams that are going to be like, yeah, we thought about taking Tori Eason earlier in the draft, but we, we had some guys rated over him. And it, it's going to be Boston, right? Like Boston's going to be like, yeah, we <laughs> thought we were going to take Tori Eason, but unfortunately we we needed a position upgrade or whatever. But No, I, I, now it's going to be the Utah Jazz because <laughs> Mr. Ainge has relocated. Um, there you but, go. <laughs> all right, so our starting fives are rounded out. Uh, mm-hmm. Yours, you currently have Sebron at point, Baji, Murray, Sohan, and then Chet Holmgren. So to round out these teams and fill out the bench spots, which we're doing three of, who are you going with first? Man, I could go a number of different ways, obviously. Um, I'm going to go with the guy who struggled a little bit early on to get some playing time. Or never mind, I can't do that. Ha ha, because of this new rule that we implemented <laughs> on the spot here. Um, I need floor spacing. I'm going to go with one of the best guys to do it last year and this year. I'm going to go with Hung Young Lee out of Ooh. Davidson just to come off and be an absolute flamethrower on this team. I got guys that can set him up. I got guys that can scream for him. Um, he's not a bad defender, but he's not going to be the best defender on this team, which is going to speak to our overall team defense. And I got another guy who can move the ball around. You know, I know Albert of No Ceilings was really high on him and, he he's very he's very much on this mantra that he's more than a scorer or more than a shooter. Mm-hmm. Like the playmaking is there, I buy into that as well. If I can have him come off the bench and just help give me you know anywhere from like eight to twelve points, uh, that's a, that's a total win. 
Yeah, no, I'm glad that you mentioned Albert. Shout out Albert, even though you can't remember what my name is. Um, <laughs> but, but by the time you're listening to this, uh, Albert should have a piece on No Ceilings published on Lee. So make sure I knew to go, that. That's why I drafted. Make him, sure to go read that. It, it, it's it's synergy. We're, we're just plugging stuff left and boom, right. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Up and down, round and round. Um, <laughs> Lee, Lee is so fascinating to me um, because I feel like some people either have him in the first round or just mm-hmm. not ranked at all. Um, he's probably one of, if not the best shooters in the country, but at his size, he's also one of the best at rim finishers because he's such a creative off ball mover where they, they frequently run him out of the corner off of the stagger screen. And yep. he'll sometimes if the defender tries to cheat, he'll just sink back into the corner and knock down a three there, or he'll run over both screens and hit a three from the top of the arc but he also does this really creative thing where based on how the paint is and how they're defending the paint and how his defender pursues him off that first screen, he cuts in between both of them and just finishes with an uncontested layup a lot. He's one of the most efficient cutters and at-rim finishers, and he's 6'7". Um, I really worry about his athleticism in terms of NBA translation. Um, I, I think that's going to be an issue, but he, he's, he's a smart team defender. I, the, I'm really glad that you mentioned the passing because he's a r- incredibly accurate passer where he's delivering cross court skip passes just exactly where they need to be. Um, I, I think there is an NBA role for him in the future, but based on your team, I, I think that's you, you bring him on for maybe Murray or Sohan slide, slide Igbaji down a spot and provide additional shooting with Lee, Lee and Igbaji on the wing. I think that's really interesting and not going to be fun to deal with. So I don't appreciate that. I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do. There's no friends in a draft, brother. You know that, but you know, I'm, we gotta, we gotta start the hashtag more than a, more than a shooter for, for Hong Jong Lee. Let's, we got to make that happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, with my first bench spot. Uh, so again, I, I, I'm going to gamble and, and, leave the guy I want for a later pick. Um, I'm going to be heartbroken when it doesn't pay off. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm going to try and add a little versatility to my front court. Um, a guy who I really didn't like last year, but the improvements he's shown this year combined with the really productive play he showed last year. Um, I think he could go first round this year and I'm going to go with EJ Liddell. I knew it. Um, the, power forward slash small ball center from Ohio state. So Liddell's shooting improvement and consistency this year is what's really sold me on him. Um, Last year he did all the dirty work was is a really physical player, physical scorer inside um, can defend pretty much across the board. Really smart player can pass a little bit. um, Incredible screen setter. But now that that shooting versatility or that shooting consistency has really risen up this season, um, I, I, I think his viability um, and versatility within a rotation is so much more immense. Um, so w- with Liddell, I can bring him on as a small ball five for Mark Williams. I also think that he can play along Mark Williams um, at the four spot uh, pr- pretty easily. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to e- EJ Liddell. I like it a lot, man, because, I mean, you mentioned that you can bring him in for Mark Williams. You got two guys who can theoretically stretch the floor in Jabari Smith and EJ Liddell. That opens things up for, you know, an attacking, you know, 
attacking, you know, downhill runner with Tori Eason, Johnny Davis, and Alondis Williams. I mean, there's a lot that you can do with that. I I can just picture in my head the the type of skip passes that Alondis is going to be throwing to to EJ Liddell in this game. He's very fun. And and one question I want to throw at you just to get a little bit more, uh, you know, elaboration mm-hmm. on. You recently did a mailbags for no ceilings, and I asked the question, you know. How far away do you think EJ Liddell is from Keegan Murray? I think the gap is not as far as what a lot of people think, man. I mean, they are eerily similar um, in that. Do you do you have over the past couple of weeks, because it was a little while ago when I mm-hmm. asked that question, do you think that the gap between them has closed, or do you think that Keegan Murray is still kind of head and shoulders above where EJ Liddell is? So I, I, I'm kind of still in the same spot, not necessarily head and shoulders, but I, I think they're just viewed as such different types of players okay. where I, I think when you look at overall impact wise, I, I think they are really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's really what matters. But I, I think Murray's kind of viewed more as this on ball scorer creator type, whereas Liddell is viewed as more of a connector, a, a grinder a dirty work guy who just who ends up elevating a rotation but not necessarily being the focus of it um it wouldn't surprise me if they have like really similar nba careers at all um i at this point i i almost expect liddell to go in like the 20s because of that versatility that two-way versatility and that toughness and that strength and rebounding and his just willingness to do a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. um but I, I think the overall upside for what Murray could potentially be is still okay. is still just a, a, a little bit higher. But as like prospects or players today and their overall impact to a game and a team, I, I don't think that the gap is really that significant. Okay, fair enough, man. Uh, I I dig it and respect it. It's just a thought that I've had in my head for like weeks now. And uh, I, I like to ask people who are smarter than me what they think <laughs> about it to give me any sort of validation or just like, no, nah, Stephen, you're crazy, so... No, where are you at with it? So you you think they're I think pretty it's close? Close, man. I mean, I it doesn't reflect that way today on my board, and a lot of that is myself like trying to legitimately talk myself out of it because again, I have Keegan Murray like as a late lottery, and sure. I have an early second round grade for EJ Liddell right now. But I think the more I'm looking at film, the more I'm thinking about it, and just kind of like even side by side comparing the two on paper. I mean, I might that gap is going to be closing in. I don't know if they're going to be like one A and one B with each other mm-hmm. or anything like that. I just we get the hype, we get a lot of hype about Keegan Murray. We don't yeah. really get any significant conversation about an EJ Liddell. That's why that that's why I wanted to bring it up. It's just like for conversationally. Yeah, no, I I think it, it will be a really interesting conversation, especially if if Murray's numbers kind of really come back down to earth as you know, they're kind of currently trending these last couple of games since Wisconsin. He's just been kind of average, you know? Right. So as the season rounds out and finishes out, I think that conversation will be really interesting a month from now and maybe we'll have to revisit it. But for now, what is the next pick that you're going with to, to, to fill up that second bench spot? I'm totally cheating. And this guy's (laughs) probably going to start, um, or at least like after halftime, he's going to come in and just run things. <laughs> I'm going to take Jaden Ivy. I'm going to be a total wuss and, and take like uh, the, the second best prospect on my big board right now. <laughs> and Jaden Ivy coming off the bench. Um, 
I mean, the, the fact that he he's fallen this far is kind of absurd. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at myself, myself that I was like, <laughs> starting point guard, Darian Sebron, let's go. We got to <laughs> win a championship, right? But um, Jade Nivey obviously would be the better guy and would be getting the starting nod. But, um, you know, 6'4", super explosive. I think that the handle is starting to become for real. I even wrote that in my big board that you, you're starting to buy the handle a lot more. There's concerns as to, like, well, if he's so good as a ball handler, why does the offense run through the bigs? And if you've watched Purdue for longer than a game, you would understand that, like, historically speaking, like, that's the scheme that they run out of there. Um, He's done a lot more with the ball in his hands, even, even his – the shot profile is becoming more dynamic. It's not so much just set shots or in transition. He's doing a little bit more creation for himself and for his teammates. Love that. He's not a selfish guy. Defensively, the numbers aren't really there, but I'm not saying it's not important overall, but like for positionally speaking, like do you need your point guard to be your best defender at the next level? Probably not. You just need him to be service. I mean, Atlanta, Probably not the best example because their <laughs> record isn't good this year, but last year they were pretty all right with Trey Young at point guard. So I think Jay Nivey could be a point guard for an NBA team, um, similar to like a Russell Westbrook when he came out. Like everyone's like, is he a, is he a one? Is he a two? Can he be a lead guard? I don't know, man. I think Jay Nivey next to other creators would be just fine and uh, defensively won't kill you in the long run. And I mean, shooting what like forty three percent from deep is freaking ridiculous um, on significant volume as well. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really upset that I decided to go with <laughs> e, e, EJ Liddell as much as I love EJ Liddell, but I went with EJ Liddell. We were like, Nivey, and... we see EJ Nivey, but we're going with Alondis Williams and Darius Ebron. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much for still listening to this podcast. By yeah, the way, that, it means yeah. a lot. It means the world. Um, that that's just one of those where 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 I'm highlighting on my big board for guys who have been taken goes wrong. Um, I, I love Ivy. I not so I, I currently have Ivy at six. So I'm I'm a little lower on him than you. Um, but I I think what it really comes down to is whether you view him as being that legit point guard at the next level. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets there. Mm-hmm. I just think that. An NBA team is going to have to be really patient with him if they do, mm-hmm. do decide to go that route. And the early years, I think, are going to be really ugly um, in that realm. I Not not necessarily scoring because I buy the shot. Um, his freshman shooting numbers never really made sense. And I think this year is more indicative mm-hmm. of who he is as a shooter. But him at point guard, I just get a lot of like early career Zach Levine vibes, early – and Kevin Porter and Jalen Green and even, you know, Devin Booker vibes where they're the players they are today are not who they were for the first six years of their career. And that's fine. They're turned into all-star and, you know, incredible players. So if an NBA team, it, this is my view, if an NBA team is willing to be patient with him and take go along that development journey with him, then I think it's worth it. Then I think that they could really get a dynamic primary ball handler out of them. Um, but even if they don't and they view him more as just that freak athlete off guard, that's still an awesome player and someone that, you know, obviously should have gone much or much sooner than he went tonight. I was just gambling like you were earlier. It's like, hey, I think I could get him later. I knew that I was going to get Jay Nivey. <laughs> we got him 13th overall pick in this draft, right where I knew he would be. 
yeah worked out that, exactly as i imagined exactly the the, the absolute best value of this draft <laughs> uh, all right so with, with my second bench spot um this is tough because there, there are guys who i view as significantly better prospects but i'm not sure they necessarily really help me win today i could use a little point guard depth i could or, Jay and Ivy would have been really good. Yeah, Jay and Ivy, weird. <laughs> Shocker that I, uh, God, just the worst. But um, you know what? I, I am going to go point guard, and I'm going to go uh, with another guy who probably should have gone much earlier, probably before Alondis Williams, and go with Ty Ty Washington. Hey, there you go. Um, I, I've really come around on Ty Ty recently. Um, I, I recently wrote about his pick and roll creation over on No Ceilings. Go read it. Yep. Um, and the once I really dove in and, and and looked at what he was doing every possession, the more intrigued and encouraged I got because it's not these flashy plays all over the place. It's just simplicity, and I don't mean that as an insult. He's just reading the defense, taking what they give him, and executing at a high level pretty consistently. So I, I think he's a really good shooter. I think he's an excellent pick-and-roll creator. Um, he's pretty crafty around the rim, and then his ability to counter with that floater um, out of the pick and roll. And when he gets in that mid range, I think is what really, really sets him apart from the rest of this point guard class, because not a whole lot of guys have that skill right now. And he, his floater is one of the best in the country. Yeah, no doubt, man. And um, it took me a long time to kind of admit defeat because I so badly wanted Kennedy Chandler to be the best point guard out of this class yeah, just same. because he's the, the, you see it, right? Like you, you liked him too. So you Obviously, the point guard defense is there, like significantly better, I would say, than than Ty Ty. But the shots not falling, the, the turnovers have gone up. It's just the the overall offensive package hasn't been as appealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate admitting that I think the size has played a role into it because I don't necessarily think I didn't want to think. I guess that that the size was everything. I, I think you know stepping up and playing in the SEC on Tennessee where sure they have talent, but if you look relative to the rest of that conference, they're not the most blessed team in mm-hmm. the SEC. So, but he has teammates, man. Like he has, he has tools, but Ty Ty Washington's a little bit less, less athletic. Once he got the keys handed over to him, I mean, he broke the freaking school's yeah. record for assists. That that's huge. Um, Here lately though, I wrote on my big board. I think it was like, I can't even remember. I think it was like 16 combined points in 64 minutes in his most recent stretch. So the kind of waxing and waning in his game, a little bit concerning. But again, as a for a college team, like wanting to win a championship tomorrow, you can do a heck of a lot worse than getting a guy who's had 17 assists in a game for, you know, your backup point guard or starting point guard. I don't know which way you want to go with that one, coach. But um, having him on your team in general is a good call. Yeah, I, I think it's just a – a, a nice change of pace compared to Alondis coming off the bench. Um, and I think just his shooting, his decision-making will hopefully help us win this game. Um, with your final pick, where are you going? I'm going to go with the best remaining big man. You know, uh, as much as I love Chet Holmgren, AKA the fly trap, who I, what I affectionately refer to him as, <laughs> I'm going to get a little bit bigger body center just to kind of help take a little bit of pressure off of him. Um, Chet might even be able to run some four next to this guy, a la kind of what he does with Drew Timmy. 
Um, Christian Coloco out of Arizona. I'm going to take him since, you know, Ben, ben Matherin hasn't been drafted yet either. Um, I'm going to take him just in case you wanted to get Ben Matherin to help strengthen your bench there. But um, obviously, similar to how you feel about Mark Williams, I think that Christian Coloco has good hands. His footwork is, is pretty solid as well. Obviously, his ability to be a rim deterrent is huge. Rebounding is definitely there too. Screen setting, coming, you know, he and Ivy gonna run a pick and roll off the bench together. Why not? Guy who can set some pin down screens for Hung Jung Lee. Um, basically just kind of be like our, our bruiser on our team with a little bit of touch around the basket as well, just to give us an, a new wrinkle on the offensive end, just in case you figure out how to stop Keegan Murray and Chet Holmgren, you know? Yeah. Um, from since we kind of talked about Mark Williams or a little bit earlier, how do you view Coloco in terms of NBA translation and effectiveness compared to Mark Williams, Kessler and Kamigate? So I think Kamigate has the highest ceiling out of all those guys. Um, he's more fluid around the basket, in my opinion, putting the ball on the, on the floor, you know, on a short roll, a couple dribbles and a pass. I trust him the most. Um, the defense, I don't think, is as stout as the rest of the company there, but I think it's definitely serviceable, passable. He's younger out of that crop as well, and I think playing in Europe, you know, the dribble, pass, shoot, effect, team style um, offense, I think is going to play to his advantage when he does come over into the NBA. Kessler, I don't think, is as blessed offensively speaking, but defensively, he's kind of elite. Yeah. Obviously, in that aspect, right? Like, with the I think he has the all best or all time best block rate right now. Um, it's, which, which is okay. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing <laughs> out of your center, I guess that's fine, right? But I think Coloco, obviously, if Kessler's here, I would probably be taking him. But since we have the rule in place, I'm going with the next of the next best available center. Um, who if I were to kind of rework my board ever since, like since I put out the rankings and work the article, I might reshuffle the deck and put Coloco as like the, the last place out of those guys. But I still think translatability going back to your question here um, to the NBA, I think all those guys are going to be able to translate very well. I don't think that you have to say like one or two or, Mm -hmm. you know, pick one who won't type thing. I think that they all kind of translate fairly well. And I think that's kind of being undervalued a little bit in this draft, considering how disappointing it is for some of these players relative to the expectations that they came into the season with. I think low-key, like center-wise, this is going to be a very talented and deep draft. Like, someone's going to be able to get an undrafted free agent center, maybe like a Jalen Williams if he declares out of Arkansas, or, or, or somebody else, or Orlando Robinson out of Fresno State if he wants to come out and be pretty happy with the investment that they put into one of those guys, you know? Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And typically, just quick little draft philosophy spiel for me. Um, I, I'm always super hesitant to put a first round grade on centers, especially lottery grade. And I I think they really have to show that they can be those franchise cornerstones because I think they have to be really special, or else it's kind of I, I don't want to say easily replaceable because that's undermining what a lot of those guys do, but I think you can kind of fill in on the margins at that position a little easier than you can at others. But this draft, I have like five or six guys, five or six centers in the first round, which is just absurd um, for how I usually rank guys. But so I, I, I completely agree that the the center depth in this class is really impressive. Um but to round out my team, my final pick, I'm going to go with the guy who 
kind of similarly to EJ Liddell, uh, does a lot of the dirty work, can do a little bit of everything. He, he's got a little more experience to come off the bench and provide some leadership to this team. I'm not super high on him in terms of NBA translation, but some other guys that know ceilings are incredibly high on him. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm going to go with Jaime Hawkes. Um, he's just one of these guys where I, I still have no idea what he does at a really high level, uh, but he just, he's constantly productive and does a little bit of everything. And I expect him to stick in the league for eight to 10 years, just doing that off the bench for a bunch of teams. But in terms of a one game college competition, his physicality, his rebounding, his kind of two way versatility um, and his just leadership and experience, I think is going to be really valuable off the bench. Yeah, I mean, you can put him in to help stretch the floor too. And I think that that's the theme. It looks like you have with your, your forwards, at least, I mean, excluding Torres and for the time being, right? Like you want guys to be able to stretch the floor, especially with Mark Williams as like your, your dive man. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. I am not super high on Jaime Hawkes at all. I have tried really super duper hard to kind of hang on to him. Um, I don't have him as a top 60 player. Corey, please don't hate me. <laughs> but um, and every like a lot of guys that know ceilings are really high on him based on what I've seen from mock drafts and stuff like that. I promise you it's not that I don't like his facial hair or anything like that. It's just I don't know, like what he does translating to the next level is super hard for me to kind of get on board with, you know, with his size, what position I think that his skill set will afford him to play at the next level coupled with his athleticism and shot diet, it's really hard for me as a professional basketball player in the NBA yep. to get on board. He still could creep up in there. I still have more film that I got to watch on every player, right, in college basketball. But as of today, I don't have him as a draftable or you could still draft him. He's 63rd on my big board, right? So if you took him 58th, I wouldn't be like, oh, how could, how dare you or anything like that. But Asking me, I think there are quite a few players that I would rather take a chance on. But for a college basketball game, I mean, hands down, dude, I mean, he's got muscle. He's got strength. He's he can stretch the floor. He moves the ball very well and he, he runs the floor. I mean, there's not a lot of things in, in college basketball that Jaime Hawkins Jr. cannot do um, relative to his position. He's pretty scalable too. can give you minutes at two, three or four. Um, I. I like him as a college basketball player, and I'm not upset at the pick here for being Mr. Irrelevant on our draft here. Yeah, absolutely. In in terms of NBA, you know, translation, I'm right there with you. I have him mm-hmm. in like the mid 50s because I'm just, I, I I think he will be a pro. Um, I just think that it's not super difficult to find guys who can fill the role that he'll fill. Um, so I'm not sure that. I would necessarily want to spend valuable draft capital on a guy like that when I could take a chance on a draft and stash or a younger player to develop a little more with, with, you know, potentially higher upside. So I'm right there with you, but to go over our teams. um, So your, your team consists of Darion Sebron, Ochai, Ochai Baji, Keegan Murray, Jeremy Sohan, Chet Holmgren, Hyung Jung Lee, Jaden Ivey and Christian Coloco. Whereas I went with Alondis Williams, Johnny Davis, Tari Eason, Jabari Smith, Mark Williams, EJ Liddell, Ty Ty Washington, and Jaime Hakas. I think it'll be a fun game. I don't um, know who wins. I genuinely have no idea who wins this game. 
we, we, we may have to put it out to the people and let them decide. Um, but I like it. I, I, I think this was a really fun exercise and just kind of a, a fun blend of college experience with NBA potential and youth and athleticism and shooting and all that good stuff in roster construction. Um, but draft Steven, philosophy mixed with, you know, roster construction. I mean, it, everything that you want in draft podcast is kind of all baked into one here with this exercise. Absolutely. And, and we, and we had a bit of fun, or at least I did. Um, I mean, I had a good time, you know, <laughs> we, we got to talk about how Jaden Ivy went 13th overall behind a and Darion Seabron. That was great. Yeah, we we may have to cut that part or, or reorganize how the how this podcast. It's endearing, I think. I think people <laughs> would be like, "Oh man, look at them! They're so cute with their draft picks and stuff." You know. There we go, um, <laughs> Stephen. As we end every episode, what was the best thing in the basketball world that you saw recently? Oh man, um, if I can cheat, and I've been cheating this whole Please. podcast, I feel like. But um, two things. One, um, when I was preparing for my big board, I really dove into Nolan Hickman. Yes. And I think that he's draftable this season. I mean, you're not getting a big sample size of him relative to the other prospects, but I just watching him on film, his passing is real. His, his defense is super real. Yes. I don't think that that's really getting discussed a lot. And he might have my favorite three-point shot in all of college basketball. So been a real fan of that. And then shout out to freaking Gary Trent Jr. on the terror that he has been with the Toronto Raptors. I mean, dropping 30 piece dinners, like it's nothing. I hated the trade that Portland did for freaking Norman Powell at the time. And that has not aged well at all. Gary Trent jr. Was an absolute steal at the time. I said it then I'll say it now. Shout out to Gary Trent jr. And the success that he's having with a good Toronto Raptors team. Absolutely. Love it. I, I'm glad that someone else is getting on that Nolan Hickman train because when I was going through incoming freshman tape over the summer, go, just going through their high school stuff, I, I thought his was some of the most impressive, um, especially from the point guards. Um, I I wish if I was an NBA team, I'd pray that he would declare. I would be kind of surprised if he did, um, because I, I, I think he could really show out next year as the oh, yeah. guy. Um, but Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your time. Uh, this was a blast. I hope you had a good time. Please plug away. Tell us what you got coming up, what just came out, where the people can support you. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for having me. You know, I love the all the stuff that you guys at No Ceilings are doing. You guys are, you know, some of the best follows that you can have in the draft Twitter community. I've had a lot of you guys on my show. I continue to look forward to our our um, professional and friendship um, all baked into one here. But for people who want to follow me, they can do so on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. Um, I've done like a running big board, like a running monthly big board for the past three months now. And um, just dropped, it, you know, if you're listening to this at a later time than when we're recording, I, I dropped it on February 2nd and been getting a lot of good reviews, a lot of excellent feedback. You know, it's it's not like your this isn't your dad's big board, right? Like I, I have analysis in there. I have stats, not just like traditional counting stats. I include a little bit of, you know, tweets from the draft Twitter community just to spread love and exposure um, is a good time. You can find that on Substack at Stephen And if you need to find that link, if you can't spell my name, I won't bore you with saying like 27 letters here on the air, but just go to Stephen G hoops uh, on Twitter. And then it's linked there on my bio and draft capital anywhere that you get your podcast. Um, by the time that you're listening to this, maybe I will have already done the episode with Matt Penny. 
where we're going to be unveiling our top five teams that are going to have the best draft prospects. It's kind of hard to articulate there on the spot, but I hope everyone gets what I mean. Like the top five teams that have the best or most um, most likely to be drafted prospects. That's going to be a fun episode with Matt Penny of the Game Theory Podcast. I'm looking forward to that. I've had a good stretch of, of guests on recently. So anywhere that you get podcasts, man, go look up um, Draft Capital and we'd love for you guys to listen and follow. But follow everything that these guys at No Ceilings are doing because they're they're taking over, man. They're um, DJ Cali of the draft community. So keep following these guys and appreciate all that y'all do, man. Please go follow Steven. He does awesome work. He's one of the hardest working guys doing draft stuff. Um, and it's just awesome content all the way everything he does is really thoughtful and he doesn't half-ass anything he puts a ton of work into it so please make sure to go support him and show him the love that you've all been showing no ceilings but once again i'm your host tyler metcalf you can follow me on twitter at tmetcalf11 and please make sure to subscribe to the no ceilings substack at noceilings.substack.com where you can find all of our work um, if you are listening to this on Thursday, uh, Albert should have a piece on Hyung Jung Lee uh, published. Make sure to go check that out. I will have a piece breaking down Mark Williams' pick and roll defense out on Friday. Please go read that as well. And please make sure to follow us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. The Substack and all of our written work is completely free. It gets delivered directly to your inbox once you subscribe. So there's zero excuse not to subscribe. Uh, please also make sure to check us out on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. We've been putting up a ton of awesome breakdowns and videos over there. Um, and every subscription, every view helps us grow and helps us do more cool things uh, in the future. So please go support us over there. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.